Now in Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 22 and go to verse 32. The word of God says this, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God, raised, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Before going further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher. In your great glory, our, our supreme concern, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Many of you, most of you, if not all of you, have heard of Langston Hughes. Langston Hughes had a famous poem called Mother to Son, and in which he had this famous line, Life for me ain't been no crystal stair. Life for me ain't been no crystal stare. This statement accentuates that as we live life in this grueling place, this, this barren place, climbing these steps full of rusty nails as we are trying to achieve, many people being relegated to the dark corners of society, yet in the midst of all of this calamity and all of this pain, the person who realizes life for me ain't been no crystal stair continues to climb, continues to go forward, not allowing the troubles of this life, the troubles in my life to hinder me from going forward, even in the midst of tears and pain. Now, for us, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we continue to go forward because who is with us? The Lord Jesus. Even as we are crying, Jesus, you got my back. Even as I want to quit, you continue to propel me, Lord. I don't want to keep going, but I see you ever before me. This is why we keep going. But I want to ask many of you a question. How many of you feel like quitting? When life happens. How many of you just feel like I'm tired? I am done with this. Here's the thing, you don't quit. You don't quit. You persevere. Why? Why do you keep going? 
because you know that there's someone behind you who's watching. They're watching how you navigate all of this stuff. The main reason you keep going is because you have someone who has saved you and who is with you. And he is walking with you in this valley of the shadow of death. He is helping us along life's journey. See, I love this old Negro spiritual that we used to sing in my home church back in Mobile, Alabama. Now, maybe some of you heard it, maybe, and I'm not going to sing it, so don't worry. I won't bless you with these vocals. The song simply says, I want Jesus to walk with me. I want Jesus to walk with me all along this pilgrim journey. I want Jesus to walk with me. As I've gotten older and reflected on that song, when I was a young boy, that song didn't mean much to me, but now it means so much because I remember sitting on one side of the church and looking to the other side of the church where these old seasoned saints who were the granddaughters and grandsons of slaves in our church, sitting there, life Beating, had beaten them up and you see the scars in their body of navigating old Jim Crow, navigating being ostracized, navigating having to go through the back door just to get something to eat. They navigated all of this and yet they still came to church on a Sunday with the joy in their souls that I didn't understand then. They kept going. I was, I'm specifically remembering this guy by the name of Brother Scott. That's what, that's what we called him. And as a kid, we didn't understand. He came in with a limp and he dragged. And I found out later that he had a massive stroke. But every Sunday, his body broken and battered, he came to service. He needed to be among God's people. And you would even hear him as the service was going on, singing and belting out songs to the Lord. Even in his condition, he didn't stop. Life for him ain't been no Christmas there. Today, friends, we are going, we're going to be in the book of Acts, continuing in this series that I've simply entitled The Season of Easter. Why did I do this? Typically, in our culture, we celebrate Easter for one day, the resurrection. But here's the truth. We celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. Every single Sunday we come together. We should celebrate the resurrection. But I wanted to take this month of April and just look at the implications of Jesus and his resurrection. And so here in the book of Acts, the author Luke recounts the struggles of the early believers, the early church, as they sought to obey the mandate of God, which was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and all that happened to them. Now, I want to say this. Now, come with me to class. Class. Our Gospels go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we have the book of Acts. Now, Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke and of Acts. What am I saying? Originally, Luke and Acts was one on one long scroll. It's written to the same guy, Theophilus. But in our English Bibles, we insert John, his Gospel, in between Luke and Acts. So I will encourage you, as you are reading, if you would read Luke and Acts together and see the thread and what Luke is trying to share with us in this. But when we come to the book of Acts, we're going to see a group of people who have now turned to the Lord. 
and their struggles as they are seeking to obey God, they were beaten because they proclaimed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You would see them thrown into prison for proclaiming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they even died because they proclaimed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say this. We should praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we live in the country that we live in and we get to worship freely. We should, I'm telling you, my wife and I have been in a country where they are hiding and worshiping. And they have a joy that they, they hide and they're worshiping. Now, they're not hiding whispering. <laughs> they're hiding and hollering. Like, and they are throwing hands up and they are raising them and if the, law, if the law came in and arrested them, so be it. But we in this country seem like we could take church or leave it. This may just be an add-on for us in our culture. I got something better to do. When I have, it, when I have the space, I'll go to church. Now, again, I know life happens. I'm not guilting anyone, please no one feel like, oh, Russell, there you go. That's not what I'm saying. Life is happening, right? I know that. But it's, it's that, 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 that one who waking up like, you know what? I don't care. And we've all been there. I've been there. You don't want to do it. But there are, play, there are people around the globe, right? They will not, if they don't feel like it, I'm going. Why? Because God has preserved me. Here's the question, friends. Does he deserve our praise? He deserves it, right? The God of the universe, the one who formed and fashioned you in your mother's womb, the one who gave you the eye color that you have, the, the pigment in your skin, your height and your, or the, how, no matter how short you are, he made you the way he wanted you. He kissed you and said, I love you. So as we look at these believers in Acts and as you go through all the book and see their struggles, it made me wonder this. Do Christians still suffer for their faith in our world today? Absolutely. Absolutely. We've all seen it. We, we've seen stories of men and women being ostracized, being beaten, thrown into jail. There are people right now who are in prison for proclaiming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some have even died. I, I recount the story of these Egyptians on the shore. Many of you have seen it where uh, an evil organization beheaded these, these men. But it was crazy, the joy on these men's face as they knew that they were about to go meet their Savior. It reminded me of the Apostle Paul. If you read 2 Timothy, Paul is like writing his last will and testament, telling Timothy, I need you to do this, son, but I'm being poured out. I'm about to go see my Savior. That's a crown waiting for me. Paul would even say in another place, yeah, I'm ready to go be with Jesus, but it's better for, for you that I stay. Like, this is somebody that says, I'm ready to go. I don't want to hang around with Paul because Paul would scare me. Like, yeah, Paul, you, I, you, you got a death wish, Paul. I, I, I need somebody that want to be here for a minute. But this is Paul. But these are believers. These are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have a history, not just in the early church, but also in years after that of men and women who have lost their lives. But even if they lose their lives, 
the church will not stop. Why? Because Jesus said he was going to build his church. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 and 19 with me. The Bible says, Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Brothers and sisters, the church will be here until Jesus comes back to rescue his people, and we get to be a part of that. He doesn't need us. He does not need Reconciliation Church to accomplish his purposes and his plans, but he allows us to be here, and we get to join him in this journey. So our main point for this sermon that I desire for us to know is this. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can have trust and confidence in God's deliverance. Again, it may be hard. Things may not be going like you want them to go. But because Jesus is not in a borrowed tomb anymore, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I. Because he is raised from the dead, we can trust that God will deliver. Now, here's the key. He may deliver in this life or in the life to come, but he is going to deliver. So as we look at what Peter states here in these verses, here are two things that I would like for us to know. Number one, obedience does not always mean comfort in life. I will say that again. Obedience does not always mean comfort in life. And second, God's presence gives us confidence regardless of our circumstances. So this morning, I simply want to tag this text and give this title, Count It All Joy. Count It All Joy. Let's begin. Obedience does not always mean comfort. The text says in verses 22 to 23, Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan, or you could read predetermined plan, and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. When you read Acts chapter 2, something amazing is happening. Acts chapter 1, Jesus post-resurrection appears to the disciples, apostles, and he tells them that you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Don't leave, Jesus told them, because for this mission, you need power. Sidebar, you can't accomplish God's will in your own strength. You need the Spirit of God in this matter. So the disciples wait, but it was a men and women in this room waiting. In Acts chapter 2, something amazing happened. And, and, and starting in verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. So those who were in this upper room, this, these men and women, the Spirit of God had descended on them, but not the, and, and, and dwelt them so that they started speaking in other tongues. Now, this is not gibberish. This is, these are known languages because there were people there who heard them from the then known world 
they're speaking the magnificent acts of God, and I hear it in my own language. But then they started saying stuff like, they drunk. Something wrong with them. Have you ever uh, thought this about someone, no matter what they're doing? Like, yeah, you, you acting out of your mind. Like, what's going on? Like, and you don't understand it, right? We don't understand it. Like, what's, what's going on here? So this was a new phenomenon for, for the people that were watching. But this happened because Jesus has now, has now been raised, and he fulfilled his promise to send one, the Spirit, for all those who trusted in Jesus. And now they have this power for mission. And so Peter, in these verses we have, he begins to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ because early he said this is the promise that Joel gave. But it says that he was a man attested by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did through him. All of these miracles, wonders, and signs were divine indicators. Indicators of what? That Jesus was God's man. He was the one that God would use to complete the mission where Adam failed in the beginning and everyone after him failed, Jesus was the one who would not fail. He would obey perfectly. He would live the life that you and I were supposed to live, but we could not because of sin. Jesus did not sin. He went to the cross. He died for us, but then he was raised from the dead. This one is the one that God would work through. When you look at the life of Jesus, he fully obeyed. I know we try. God, I'm going to obey you today. No sooner does that come out of your mouth, we fail. I fail. But Jesus didn't. He came to do the will of his Father. Part of this plan for the Lord Jesus was to come and to die for sinful humanity. This is why Peter says that though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Here you have God's divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Which one was the reason that Jesus died? The answer is both. It says God determined this to happen. All of this stuff that happened with Jesus was no surprise to God. No surprise. And God was in total control of the events concerning his death and resurrection. Jesus even knew that his life would include suffering and death. And this makes me want to say this to you, brothers and sisters. Nothing happens in your life outside of God's plan. And let me say that again. Nothing happens in your life, in my life, outside of God's plan. Good and bad. This is why we could count it all joy. If we're remembering that God is ahead of this, that he is orchestrating this. When we have peace and ease, it's easy for us to have joy then. But we still should have joy when life is good. But when life seems to go crazy, trials and tragedy, pain in your heart, we still must count it all joy because our pain is no surprise to God. It's no surprise. See, Satan thought that he was smooth. He thought that as he's orchestrating Judas and all of these people that's attacking Jesus, that when Jesus is on the cross, that, oh, I win now. But God, I don't play chess. Some of you may play chess. Because I don't know those chess players that realize they're watching you think you're doing good. And then they, that person moves and they're like, checkmate. Game over. Jesus is coming out of the grave is God's checkmate. 
I win. See, even when we suffer, friends, God is behind the scene and he is co-opting Satan's evil intentions for his, uh, for his kingdom purposes. And when we are going through, we must not believe the lies of the enemy. It's so easy to believe the lies of the enemy. That as I, when I'm going through and this stuff is happening, then I must be a failure because I failed. I've done something to bring this on my life. I want to say, friends, that those are lies from the pit of hell. They're lies from the pit of hell. Just because you're going through, if you're in Christ, doesn't mean that it's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that something right now, I'm, I'm, trust me, my wife knows this, I'm talking to myself right now. I'm talking to me. That when things are not going like I want them to go, it doesn't mean that something is wrong with me. God is doing something. I just don't understand it. And I'm trying to make sense of all of this. And I may not get an answer, but God, could I just trust you? This is why I love this, this old sermon title from an old preacher that says, until the next door opens, I will praise him in the hallway. Most of us don't like the hallway. We want the door open. I want to see where I'm going. But I don't know how to praise when it's dark. If I'm the only one. But God has a purpose. See, as Christians, we are going to suffer in this life. And I'm not a masochist, so don't hear me Talking all this stuff like, oh, Russell, you must like pain. I hate pain. But when we look at Scripture, Scripture lets us know that Christians, we're going to suffer. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21 with me. Where Peter says, for what credit is it, it is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this. You see it? You were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What steps? Jesus was obedient to the Father. Comfort wasn't in his plan, but he still obeyed. That example we should follow. See, God knew all about the suffering that, of the believers that, that Peter wrote to. And like those believers, we too will suffer. Now, Suffering, sometimes we do suffer because of our own sin. The Bible says that. Look at, at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. It says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Now, for those of us who have kids, we know this, right? And I'm not talking about the way you discipline, but when our kids act up because they're beautiful, but they ain't perfect. There is discipline, right? There's discipline. We would not be a loving parent if we just let everything go. That's not loving. There, there, there is discipline now, and we're imperfect. God sees us in our sin, and because he loves us, the text says, he punishes every son he receives. Everyone that belongs to him, he would deal with, he would discipline. But even through pain and suffering, we must have the assured conviction that God still supports our lives. So Jesus comes to this earth, he lives this perfect life, he, he goes to the cross, not because of his sin, but because of our sin, and he knew this. Hebrews also says, for the joy set before him, there that word is again, joy, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Obedience does not always mean comfort. 
And that was a woman who understood this quite well. Her name was Gladys Aylward. She was a missionary to China before and during World War II. Again, I was not alive during World War II, but I do know life was crazy on the planet. And she's a missionary in a foreign country. She risked her life to go through mountains to rescue these orphans to get them to safety, and she did. But it didn't come without a cost for her. She experienced many, many physical ailments. She was fatigued, malnourished. She was even one time in the compound that they were in, the Japanese came in and she was beaten. Right? She suffered many physical injuries. On top of that, there was a man who was smitten by her, who proposed to her, wanted to marry her. She said no. She wasn't doing it. Because she believed that it was more important for her to choose Christ over everything else life had to offer, which even meant for her being a wife and potentially a mother. She had to push that stuff back. And her story lets me know that even when we suffer, because Gladys was willing to obey, even when we suffer, we must learn obedience, right? How do we stay obedient to God? When we do, we mature. How do I know? The book of James says it in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Look at it with me. But James says, consider it a joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. See, like Peter and other apostles, they were on a mission to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. Other people, Jesus gave them a mandate. Also, I believe that they actually saw, maybe spiritually, what Jesus had come to do because he was coming to establish the kingdom. The kingdom is here. These disciples got it now with the spirit, and they wanted to go and proclaim Jesus to as many people as they could rescuing. Now, if you read the book of Acts, and we're almost at the second point, the book of Acts ends like with a question mark. There's no period there. What does this mean? The mission that was started in the book of Acts is still being continued through you and I. It's still being continued. It ends with Paul just in Rome proclaiming the Lord Jesus. But there's nothing that like, okay, how, how does this end? It doesn't end until he comes back. And we're living out the end of Acts, even now in the church. See, we are called to evangelize and make disciples. And while we do that, we count it all joy. All of you sitting here, if you call on the name of Jesus, you are here because someone was faithful to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. That could have been a faithful pastor who proclaimed the gospel every Sunday. That could have been a faithful youth leader that opened your eyes to the Lord Jesus. That could have been a faithful friend who saw you and saw that you were far from God and they shared the gospel with you. It could have been a parent faithfully proclaiming the Lord Jesus to you. Or it could have been like the man Tom Skinner, who was the leader of a gang in Harlem in the civil rights era, about to go and commit a crime with his gang listening to the radio and some guy was faithful to proclaim Jesus on the radio 
that he trusted in Jesus and he didn't go to the gang fight. And Tom Skinner is one of the greatest evangelists in our time that I know of. He's dead. Someone was faithful. So here's my question. Who would say about us, I am saved today because Russell was faithful to share Christ with me? I am saved today because Matthew was faithful. Carla was faithful to share Christ with me. I am here today because Latoya was faithful to proclaim Christ to me. Who will say that? Who can say that today? Or when we are before Jesus, and if this even happens in heaven, that someone would stand up and say, Jesus, I thank you that I have trusted you, but I'm grateful for him or her because they opened their mouths and wasn't ashamed to proclaim you to me. These are our marching orders. So here's a question, friends. How are we doing? Obeying the command of Jesus today. How are we doing? Jesus obeyed the Father and he died. But verse 24 says God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. And finally, last point, God's presence gives us confidence regardless of the circumstances. So in verses 25 to 28, uh, Peter is citing Psalm 16. And he says in these verses, For David said of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. If you go on and read beyond this down to what we, where we read in verse 32, Peter calls David a prophet. When we read the Old Testament, we just see him as a king. But here, Peter calls him a prophet. Why? Because David was not speaking here concerning himself. He was speaking concerning the descendant who would come after him, not his son Solomon or any of Solomon's descendants. He's speaking of Jesus. So Peter quotes this psalm that expresses confidence in the Lord. He uses this psalm to show that Jesus was confident, expressed great confidence in his father. Even in death, he knew that his father would be with him. So here's a question I have for each of us. Do we look to the father and trust in his presence? as we walk through this low land of sorrow? Do we understand that no matter what, God is our protector? This gets to this. Do we, are we aware that God is present with us? Now, before you answer that, I want you to think about that because I have to go to God and pray and confess, Lord, I know you're there, but I don't sense you. God's presence. We, I, want to un, I want to call this divine eminence. What does this mean? This means that God is here. There is no place that God is not. No place that God is not. There is no place where he does not dwell. He was with Jesus in his life, his death, and resurrection, and he also walks with us as we live our lives. The psalmist says, because he is at my right hand, Jesus was always in the presence of God. Always. And he was aware of it. He would say stuff like, I and the Father are one. 
I do nothing except what the Father tells me to do. That means he was attentive to, right? I only want to obey him, right? We, Russell obeys when everything is right in my life. When everything is easy, then I obey. I hope somebody joins me in the spirit. I obey when everything is good, right? But when stuff is hard, I find it hard to obey because now I'm trying to work in my flesh to fix stuff around me so that it can get easy. Now I can obey. See, as simply humans, we struggle to understand and know that God is with us. And even when we sin, we may do something that is unthinkable. We want to flee from God's presence. Now, how crazy is that? But we shouldn't look down because someone in Scripture did it. His name was Adam. What did he do? After he sinned, it says he tried to hide from God. He tried to do the impossible. The psalmist says this in Psalm 139 and 7, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? We can never go anywhere where God is not. That's an impossibility. If God turned around, he bumps into himself. He's, he's everywhere. And because of this, because we are living under the divine context, we should count it all joy as followers of Christ. That he is with me. I love A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. I don't know if some of you have read it. But he highlights in one of these chapters being aware of his presence. But we don't develop that muscle to know that he is there. We recognize him when we pray for something, he gives it to us. But what if we pray and he says, not yet or no, is he still there? Or when things are not good in my life, is he still present? To answer that question, just look at the life of Joseph. When we look at Jesus... He trusted God to protect him even in death. Why? Because he knew that he and the father were in an intimate relationship and that God would raise him from the dead. Also, when we think of God's presence, we, we, must, not think, uh, we, must, we must not think of his presence in spatial terms. So I'm here on the stage and there is space between you and I. Right? Spatial terms. Like thinking that there is some distance between. We even use language like, I feel distant from God now. Have you ever said it? Like, I feel distant. Well, you, we feel distant. God is not distant because it's not about space and spatial things. There is no physical distance involved with God. It's a matter of experience. It's a matter of experience. Because Jesus experienced the Father intimately, Verse 28 says, he was filled with gladness. God's presence, friends, gives us confidence in good times and bad. It reminds me of this. We're just about done. In the book of Daniel, three Hebrew boys refused to buy. Nebuchadnezzar the king turned up a furnace. I don't even know what this looked like. But he threw those three boys, those three young men, in the Nebuchadnezzar looks in and says, wait, didn't I throw three in there? But I see four. And the fourth one I see look, looks like God. And we know the text says these fellows were in fire and were not sent. They didn't come out smelling like smoke. And so the confidence for us is like even when we're going through these trials in life, 
if we understand that he is with us, we don't have to worry, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's what? He's with me. This gives us confidence. Some of us may still be living in the past like antiquity and have a house landline, a phone. I'm not mad because I got one. And if you remember the phones growing up, I mean, you used to have that phone that had that long cord that you could stand at that door and walk to that one. But then they had the cordless one, right, where you just plug in and you could take it and you can walk wherever in the house and get right reception. And again, if you're like me, when those things happen, you would spend hours on the phone. Back when call waiting, you would, you would screen calls. Like, it wasn't no call. You, you couldn't see, like, who was calling. You just wouldn't click over because you were just on the phone with your boo or with whoever you were on the phone with. But you could be on the phone so long that the phone will start chirping. It started chirping because you done been, you've been on this phone too long. Your ear hot. Right? It's just, it's hot. But it's trying to let you know that you need to put the phone back on the what? But no, I still want to talk. And then all of a sudden, it just goes out. The phone is now dead. It died because it was away from the charger too long. In other words, it was putting out with no refill. It had no anointing. It couldn't function because it was away from its power source. Brothers and sisters, we can't keep running on spiritual emptiness and wonder why we are limping along in the Christian life. Being connected to God is precious. And when we're connected, we have confidence. And so often we're trying to live this Christian life in our own strength. And we are drained, we are complaining and wondering why all of these things are happening. And then when we look up, we realize that we hadn't spent time with the Father. I'm, I'm that guy. I hadn't spent time. I'm frustrated. I'm not connected to my power source. When we're empty and without confidence, we struggle to even be obedient. And what's even sadder to me is that we become comfortable with being disconnected to God. We become too self-satisfied. It's almost like the dysfunction becomes comfortable. Like, I don't want it. You're telling me, Russell, I need to spend time in his word. I need to seek him in prayer. Are you trying to make me legalistic? No, I'm not trying to make you legalistic. I'm trying to get you connected to your power source. Because we all need it. And if that's legalism, make me a legalist. Because I need it. Too many of us as believers, we're walking around powerless, claiming Jesus, claiming that God is our Father, but we show no, as the old people used to say, you need to show some signs. But we show none. So as I close, I want to say that we should not think that nearness to God is a place. It's not a place. Being near to God is about a relationship with God. 
I'm looking at people that have let me know that I have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. I'm so grateful that he's still saving. And he has saved you. But just like those of us who are married or any relationship that you have, we can't say that I love a person and we don't want to spend time with them. Parents, kids, spouses, friends. We can't say that if we don't want to spend time with them. It's about relationship. And when it comes to God, we need to become more aware of his presence because he is here. He is more near to you and I than the very breath that we breathe. And I need him to give me eyes to see. I want to be like that man in scripture that asked Jesus to heal him. He's blind and Jesus healed him. He said, I see, but I see men like trees. And then Jesus touched him again and then he saw clearly. Could God give us clear sight, spiritual sight to know that in every situation, in every circumstance, he is with us. And when he is with us, friends, 